Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news, a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in-depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now here's the show. In the South African eye, essentially Israel is pursuing a political goal here, and that is to make life unsustainable for the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. South Africa takes Israel to international court on charges of genocide. It's Thursday, January 11th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Israel is defending itself against charges of genocide at the International Court of Justice. We'll look at what's in the case and why South Africa is bringing it. Also, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen once said inflation was fleeting. Transitory was the word she used. Well, maybe to economists taking the long view, but to everyone else, not so much. I regret using the word transitory, but inflation has come down very substantially. We got a chance to talk to the secretary about that and a lot more. You can hear that in about 15 minutes. But first... Another thing the Treasury is watching closely, some parts of the government will start to run out of money soon if Congress doesn't cut a deal on government spending. House Speaker Mike Johnson and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced one over the weekend, but it's hitting some resistance. On the right, the House Freedom Caucus says there's not enough money for border security, and some Democrats are balking over its potential cuts to IRS funding. Democratic Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro told Scott Tong how she feels about the deal. Understand, we cannot make a deadline of January 19th. That is the first deadline. That is Mm -hmm. not going to occur. So what do we need to do? We need to uh, put forward another extension of the continuing resolution. A temporary spending bill. Senator McConnell has talked about a March 1st date. All I can tell you is that is going to have to be a continuing resolution in order for us to be able to finish the bills. And it takes a while to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, you, you've seen this uh, scenario many times. Yes, I if have. you were to put money, put money on it, do you think the government is likely to shut down? I think no. I think we're going to move forward. I think we will, we will move forward. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask about one specific. If this spending deal moves forward, it would cut IRS funding by about $20 billion. Some of this money is meant to go after wealthy tax cheats who don't pay their taxes. What would the upshot of those cuts be? Well, this is, I mean, I mentioned to you that there are some areas that I oppose, and uh, I oppose the acceleration of the rescinding the funds, taking away the funds from the IRS, because you're absolutely right trying to provide tax breaks to help billionaires or the biggest corporations. That money was there specifically to go after the tax cheats, the people, the corporations who today, number of which don't pay any taxes. We're in the midst of a finance committee in the Senate, a Ways and Means committee in the House, 
who are deliberating a tax bill, which would provide massive tax cuts to corporations and individuals. And so this is reinforcing that we're not going to go after those folks who are the tax cheats. And so mm-hmm. that's like hampering the IRS from being able to do it. Yeah, and I want to ask you about uh, the tax negotiations. Um, The bill in question includes an expansion of the tax credit for families with children. This was uh, there was an expansion we saw during the worst days of the pandemic, and then it expired. What's on the table now would improve what families get now, and yet you're critical of it. Is that right? Well, because I, uh, you know, I disagreement with you that it doesn't improve families. What I am concerned about what's being negotiated is that this is tilted in favor of the biggest corporations. And we are now going to provide, we're just going to pull back on a program that has worked. We need to be in the business of looking at how we can help families today and move them to economic security. And finally, Congresswoman, uh, the war in the Middle East, your office in New Haven, was vandalized uh, last year. Protesters spray painted free Palestine and blood on your hands on the windows to your office. I I guess as you think about it, what's happening to the nature of public debate in this country? Well, that is the the ugliness of public discourse. The, The Middle East is a very, very serious, complex issue. And let me just say this to you. Humanitarian aid. We could have passed the supplemental bill, which would provide humanitarian assistance. It would provide aid to Ukraine, to Israel, and to Taiwan. But they have hamstrung the process over another very serious issue, which is border security, one that should be dealt with, in my view. It is a crisis at the border, but it should not be commingled with what our obligations and our moral responsibilities are particularly to provide humanitarian assistance to Gaza and other areas of the world. Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut is the lead Democrat on the House Appropriations Committee. Congresswoman, thanks very much. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Coming up next, a case against Israel opened today in the International Court of Justice. That's the United Nations Court in The Hague that settles matters of international law. After the break, Deepa Fernandez explores South Africa's accusation of genocide by Israel in the war in Gaza. Stick around. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Your employees are more than your coworkers. They're the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers modern group benefits designed to protect employees and their families with dental, vision, life, and disability coverage. Humana knows every employee and every business is unique. That's why they listen to your needs and build plans with you and your team in mind. That's the power of human care. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. 
So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Gaza's Ministry of Health says more than 23,000 people in Gaza have been killed in the last three months of the Israel-Hamas war. More than 10,000 of those killed are children. And it's partly because of this enormous death toll that South Africa has levelled a case against Israel, accusing the country of committing genocide against Palestinians. The hearing started today at The Hague, with South Africa presenting its findings in front of the International Court of Justice. Here's lawyer Adila Hassim, South Africa's lead counsel in the opening arguments today. Israel has killed an unparalleled and unprecedented number of civilians with the full knowledge of how many civilian lives each bomb will take. Tomorrow, Israel, which denies these accusations, will defend itself. For more on this, we're joined now by reporter Chris McGreal. He's been covering this for The Guardian. Chris, welcome. Good morning. Today, Chris, the court heard South Africa make its opening arguments, claiming Israel has committed genocidal acts with genocidal intent against Palestinians in Gaza. What was some of the evidence presented in this first of two hearings? So the South African lawyers laid out this very comprehensive case that essentially they they cast in the broader terms of what they said was decades of Israeli oppression of the Palestinians. And and they cast the the present war in Gaza saying it's not proportionate and that essentially it's a cover for a a wider political agenda against the Palestinian people. Um, It described a number of actions that, that that they said were amounted to nothing short of destruction of Palestinian life. Um, these included uh, the size of the weapons being used against Palestinians in Gaza, saying the bombs were so large that they would inevitably kill large numbers of civilians. Uh, they said Israel had designated safe zones for Palestinians to seek refuge and then bombed them, um, that Israel's depriving uh, Palestinians of basic needs, food, water, health care, uh, and the means of life. And it's destroying social infrastructure, homes, schools and mosques and hospitals. Mm. And then he said there was one other important element. He said, look at the language used by Israel's leaders, the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu and others, and that the language is genocidal and that it's reflected in what the soldiers on the ground are saying as they talk about uh, the war on uh, uh, the war in Gaza. Okay. South Africa is also calling the lack of food coming into Gaza as part of Israel's, quote, pattern of genocidal conduct. Human Rights Watch has accused Israel of starvation as a war crime. How big a part of the case is this? It's an important part, I think, in the South African eyes in establishing that essentially Israel is pursuing a political goal here, um, and that is to make life unsustainable for the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. And, uh, you know, one of those goals may be to to drive people out of uh, out of Gaza. And of course, not being able to eat and particularly not be able to feed your children is an important part of that. But as I say, it's one part in what they cast as the broader destruction of Palestinian Mm. life. And Chris, it's not lost on anybody that South Africa is the country that's bringing these charges, a country with its own history, with apartheid, and it's a continent away. Why is it significant that South Africa is the one taking this on and bringing the case before the ICJ? 
Well, it, it's obviously getting a lot of attention now, but the South Africa-Israel relationship's been really quite fractious for some time. It's partly rooted in the fact that Israel uh, had a very close military alliance with apartheid South Africa, and the ruling ANC today hasn't uh, forgotten that. It's also uh, a product of the fact that the ANC sees uh, Israel's uh, control of the Palestinian territories as akin to apartheid. So, so mm. there's definitely that part of it. But I think also okay. because of that history, uh, the, the South Africans have a kind of moral authority in the eyes of much of the developing world that they were considered the right country uh, to stand up uh, on this one yeah. specific issue. And Chris, tomorrow we'll hear the defence from Israel, which rejects this charge entirely. Here's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in a statement last night, which was ahead of today's hearing. Israel is fighting Hamas terrorists, not the Palestinian population. And we are doing so in full compliance with international law. The IDF is doing its utmost to minimise civilian casualties, while Hamas is doing its utmost to maximise them by using Palestinian civilians as human shields. Chris, what can we expect Israel's defence to look like? Does it seem Israel's taking this case seriously? Yes, I think Israel's taking this case very seriously, um, partly because they're worried not only about the implications of a a ICJ ruling, but if they were to find that the court was to find that genocide is, uh, is being committed or is likely to be committed, that has implications for a criminal investigation that's ongoing by the International Criminal Court. So I think Israel's going to defend this very vigorously as a, a matter of national defence. Okay. Chris McGreal, reporter for The Guardian. Chris, thank you. My pleasure. Remember, we've got lots more reporting and perspectives on the war at npr.org slash updates. Coming up next, Scott sits down with Treasury Secretary and former Fed Chair Janet Yellen to talk inflation, jobs, and why good macroeconomic data doesn't really matter to most voters. That's after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore makes products that stand the test of time and hope to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Empowering your best life in clothing that can be worn for just about any activity from running to yoga. Visit viore.com NPR to receive 20% off your first purchase and enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares why Betterment believes cash can be a strategic choice. There are times when the market is volatile, when customers are a little nervous about investing. We came to understand that there was an opportunity to introduce cash as part of an investing strategy and to give back yields to the customer. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit bluehost.com. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. The big picture for inflation is that it keeps drifting down. Consumer prices last month, they they climbed a tad, but inflation is now 3.4%, down from more than 6% a year ago. Are Americans feeling that? Well, many tell pollsters they are anxious about the economy, but officials in the Biden administration argue things are indeed improving. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, stopped by our studios at WBUR to talk about it. Secretary, welcome. Thanks so much for the invitation. You have been talking about economic soft landing. Inflation is down. We are not in recession. But you're known as an economist who thinks about the people behind the numbers. So if you would, help us see the economic situation through the eyes of a young couple. Say they make the median household income, 70 some thousand dollars. Can this couple be confident that their paychecks can keep up with rent, Utility bills, cell phone service, car insurance, so many of these things feel like they're still going up. Well, I know that many young couples of the type that you describe um, are feeling um, stressed about uh, making ends meet. They lived through a pandemic, which was extremely stressful, and um, a period in which inflation was high Food prices rose substantially. Um, apartment rentals. Yeah, I think that's influencing their views on the economy. But what they're seeing now and have seen over the last year, energy prices are down significantly. A gallon of gas are down. Mm-hmm. The prices of used vehicles down substantially. Their wages are going up, and Prices are rising less quickly. So they are getting ahead. And if they compare where they are now, the typical middle-income household uh, can buy the same basket of goods that they bought in 2019 and have $1,000 left over to save Mm. or spend. And as time goes on, um, if this good performance continues, they'll see themselves getting further and further ahead. And yet, Madam Secretary, so many Americans tell pollsters, at least, they're not feeling that. And this is not a political question. I'd like to ask you as an economist, how do you explain that? Are people focusing on, say, sky-high mortgage rates, housing prices, or perhaps they're focusing on their neighbors doing better than they are? A lot of economists say we might not be as rational as we think we are. Well, I think when people are asked about their own situation, they tend to be pretty positive about it, and some of the concerns that they express have to do more with their neighbors and the economy as a whole. 
And if you actually look at their spending patterns, spending has really been quite strong. And so people are acting as though they feel okay about their own situations but are worried about the economy. We live through a period of high inflation, and I think it's going to take a little while before people feel confident that that's over and Mm. that they'll be systematically getting ahead. And we're seeing the beginnings in surveys, and I hope and believe that that will continue to improve yeah, and and as far as the these new laws, the administration, the president, you have been talking about, can you help us look a little further out? Uh, some of the new laws make big investments in clean energy and biotechnology in semiconductors. If we can go back to this young couple in America, let's say that couple has a baby today, twenty years from today, what jobs will be available to that person? Well. We know that there are good jobs available to those who have a college education, but the president's focus is to make sure that um, a young person doesn't have to have a college education in order to be able to earn a good wage and that they don't have to live on the coasts to get a good job clean energy jobs, the jobs that are being created in semiconductors, more than $600 billion in private investment in clean energy and manufacturing have been announced since the start uh, of this administration. And Mm. much of it is spurred by three major bills that have been passed, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, the chips and semiconductors bill and the Inflation Reduction Act, which has these clean energy incentives. And I've been traveling around the country looking at some of the investments, critical mineral processing, expanding in North Carolina, batteries um, in the battery belt in the middle of this country, uh, Mm -hmm. chips factories in Arizona, and a young person looking to complete their education 20 years from now should mm. really, really find it possible to get very good-paying jobs. Yeah. As I hear you talking about jobs and good jobs in this country, I think about this defining characteristic of our generation, how unequal this country has become in terms of wealth, what is happening to social mobility, the American story. You know, I have a teenager, and I, I wonder... How do you think I should explain to him why the gap between the haves and the have-nots is so big and where it's going to go? Well, you know, one of the things that we need in order to reduce that gap, and it's something that was a great strength of our country um, in the aftermath of World War II, were investments. And we became especially during the Trump years, but also before then, focused on trickle-down economics. And I think that's a failed strategy. And the Biden-Harris economic agenda is really to invest across our economy. For the first time, we are really throwing real resources into upgrading our roads, our bridges, our airports, broadband, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm so that our economy can be 
efficient, and Mm -hmm. making sure that we train people for these good jobs that will be associated with a clean energy economy. Mm -hmm. Can I come back to inflation? You have acknowledged uh, that the Biden administration and the Federal Reserve got it wrong when it suggested inflation would be transitory, would be fleeting. It was not. And, you know, I still remember a business professor using this phrase uh, that companies can extract failure value. They can learn from a setback. What have you learned for future policies about inflation and what happened? Well, inflation, first of all, inflation has come down. I think the word transitory suggests to many people that it's something that's a matter of days or weeks. And um, in our economy, it lasted for over a year. So I regret using the word transitory. But inflation has come down very substantially. Um, The labor market is functioning well. We've had 23 months in a row, and this is the first time we've had this in more than 50 Mm -hmm. years, in which unemployment has been running uh, under 4%. If you look at the last six months, as inflation's come down, that gives you a better sense of where are we now. And inflation's now down to 2%. Mm -hmm. So I have to say it's very rare to have a period in which inflation comes down and the economy doesn't experience a recession. Mm -hmm. But we've not Mm -hmm. seen that. And in that sense, I consider this to be a soft landing. Yeah. Janet Yellen, I read John Hilsenrath's uh, book about you and your career, your life, and you're known for being a meticulous person. We've read that you have flawless practiced handwriting. Uh, You know, to go to bed at 8.30, according (laughs) to the book, uh, get to the airport three (laughs) hours before your flight. Um, If that's all true, and I'm not going to call a cabinet secretary a control freak, but how do you as a person... Deal with unpredictable things happening in the economy. Things can crash. People can get hurt. Well, I I think um, making sure that you do your homework so that you have a sound basis to be able to deal with the unexpected. A recent example of that is the pressures that we saw in the banking system last March when Silicon Valley Bank suddenly failed, the most dramatic bank failure we've had. It required rapid and forceful intervention. The the fact that this is something I've thought about and worked on and dealt with over the course of a lifetime, I feel gave me the tools to be able to pretty quickly sort through with my colleagues what we should do. And I think we managed to navigate that. So being prepared is the best way to deal with the unexpected. Janet Yellen is U.S. Secretary of the Treasury. Her very nice signature is on ones and five dollar bills. Secretary, thanks for speaking to us. Thanks for the interview. That's our show. It comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Sam Rafelson, Gabrielle Healy, and Hafsa Qureshi. Today's editors were Todd Munt, Peter O'Dowd, Micaela Rodriguez, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Caleb Green and Michaela Varela. 
Our theme music is by Mike Moschetto, Max Liebman, and me, Chris Bentley. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin, and the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.